Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of Skewed and Reviewed Skewedcast. I'm Gareth, creator of Skewed and Reviewed, and you can catch us each week on uh, BJ Shea's Geek Nation on KISWFM. We have the simulcast on our page at sknr.net as we cover all things movies, games, television, travel, entertainment, conventions, pop culture, and more. You can also catch me and McStaff at Pinal Central, P-I-N-A-L, central.com keyword skewed and you can see our video game reviews and articles for the 12 papers and 21 markets that uh, they cover and of course last but not least we have our quarterly magazine the next issue will be out in june skewed and reviewed the magazine you can catch us on sci-fi radio syndicated and lots of other outlets so here we are getting uh, closer and closer to many of the big summer event shows schedules a bit crazy we have people all over the place um, Joseph is taking part in a pool tournament, and uh, Michael is away taking care of some things. So Justin and I are going to be going quickly through the big topics of the week. Uh, next week, we have uh, Phoenix Fan Fusion, so I am scheduled for three panels and a booth and all of that. And we have a concert to cover and lots and lots of stuff. This week was crazy. I had uh, Bob's Burgers. Uh, movie. They had Top Gun Maverick, which was outstanding. I could talk about that. Not, I can't talk about the other. We've already got several other films coming up. But before we get into that, I wanted to mention a couple of video game things that we're working on. First off, if you've played Zombie Army 4, uh, the brand new DLC Ragnarok is available. It comes in two parts, Ragnarok 1 and Ragnarok 2. Part 1 is quite long and uh, challenging. I was stuck about three quarters of the way through, and then thankfully I was able to get a couple of players to come in and between uh, a, you know, a united team, we got through it. The second part isn't as long, but it's pretty intense, involving a submarine down in the depths of Hades and a gigantic Megalodon zombie shark, and yes. Now, I uh, did want to mention, uh, traditionally, we had been given code uh, to do the reviews of the DLC, and this time around that wasn't happening mainly, you know, just a changeover in marketing, changeover in reps, so it did take me a bit of time uh, to get that all sorted out and to go from there. The DLC is running at $14.99, which, uh, you know, to be honest, gave me a bit of pause just for two maps. Uh, the, like I said, the first one is much longer. They are a lot of fun. Uh, you know, when we first played the game, it was at a meeting Michael and I had at E3, and we sat down, played the game, really enjoyed it. They let us capture video. We've been uh, playing it ever since it came out for re uh, reviewing it, all the DLC. And so on one hand, it's really nice that they're continuing to put quality DLC out. There's also that other part where you're kind of at, okay, at this point in the game, having played it so long, do I want to invest $14.99 in DLC? And then, you know, maybe an hour, 90 minutes, two hours worth of gameplay on it. Um, I'll say this, it holds up. It is certainly a lot of fun. Uh, but, you know, it's kind of one of those going forward where maybe I won't be, uh, you know, as quick to jump in. It, it's tough because I've loved the game and I've loved the DLC, but you kind of get to a point where it's like, is it time to move on to something else? But I think as long as they hold up the quality, I'll at least give it a look. 
another game that we wanted to talk about is in the alpha stage right now. I have some PS5 gameplay up on the site, and it is Multiversus. This is a pending game from Warner Brothers Interactive, and essentially it is a fighting game that takes the Warner Brothers universe. You can have Arya Stark from Game of Thrones. You can have Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Taz, Thelma from and Shaggy from Scooby-Doo, uh, Steven Universe, so many others, and basically you fight it out. Now, unlike Mortal Kombat, you're not going to be ripping spines out, heads off, lighting people on fire, and showing it to them. There are a lot of intense moves in combat, but it is not done in an overly graphical way. It's done in a very cartoony way, which makes it appropriate for the whole family. So if you do want to uh, get a look at it, it is uh, on our page, and I believe they are still taking applications for those who want to get in and give it a shot. Now, a couple of quick things, and then Justin and I will get on to the topics. We've been told that the trailer for, speaking of Ragnarok, Thor Ragnarok, the full trailer, is set to debut Monday night during the NBA Finals, so look forward to that. So, Justin, we had rumors this week uh, that EA was again considering... Uh, possibly being uh, purchased or merging. And then shortly after that, word came out that EA and uh, NBC Universal uh, were very close to merging and it fell through at the last minute. What do you make of this? Yeah, so uh, very interesting. You know, I think this comes on the heels of uh, some other kind of big mergers. So Activision recently got purchased by Microsoft, um, which was a, was a pretty big deal. You know, I, I was talking with some friends about this uh, very topic, um, I think, yesterday. And, you know, I, I think certainly part of this is that, you know, uh, it, it really just hasn't been a particularly great um, decade for, for EA. Uh, they had some really good big hits. You know, Fallen Order, obviously, big hit. You know, Titanfall, Titanfall 2, both fall in into that um, time frame within the last 10 years. But... You know, this also comes on the heels of uh, some pretty big hits. So, um, and not hits in the uh, good sense, hits in the bad sense. So, uh, Mass Effect Andromeda, um, that was a kind of a disappointment. Uh, Anthem was a real big one. Uh, that was a, a pretty big disappointment and probably, uh, uh, you know, financially pretty tough for them. Um, you know, the Battlefield series has sort of been faltering for a little while. Uh, and particularly with Battlefield 2042, um, it ha has been it's been a pretty tough you know decade for them. Um, this is in comparison to you know the decade before. You know EA was um, sort of in its prime. Um, you know in the the era of like uh, you know between um, you know I would argue a lot of their their greatest stuff started around uh, the late 2000s and then into um, you know the late 2010s you know it was it was a pretty great decade for them you had the mass effect series uh you know mirror's edge dead space you know you had a lot and a lot of the uh, most popular battlefield games were, were kind of in that era um so you know it's really just it's been kind of tough for them and um i so i can kind of understand where they're coming from in the, in the sense of uh you know being interested in kind of merging with somebody kind of revitalizing ea uh, getting some new uh, investment in into the company, uh, I think would is probably the kind of their angle right now. Um, I I heard from what I read, it it actually they were kind of courting all sorts of different uh, different large companies 
So uh, other than NBC, which I guess, uh, you know, entered its final stages, they are also courting Apple, um, Comcast, I guess they were, you know, interested in, in talking with. So um, it is kind of interesting. I the, my concern, my concern kind of remains. Uh, oh, and Disney also, they were also talking to Disney uh, as well uh, at one point. So uh, my concern, though, with this, it kind of remains the same kind of across the board in that I, I remain a little bit concerned about the consolidation of a lot of these companies um, into you know, basically just mega publishers. Uh, it seems to, you know, it. I'm kind of curious to see if um, uh, what what the landscape looks like when a lot of these larger publishers are kind of merged together into like these mega publishers. Uh, but my gut instinct is to be kind of concerned about it, just from the sense of like, it, competition is always a as a good thing. Um, and it, to me, it seems like a healthier industry when you have uh, kind of like what we had for the last decade or a couple decades, even all the way back to the 90s, where, you know, you didn't have uh, essentially everything consolidated into like Microsoft, Sony, and um, maybe some some other company that's not traditionally associated with gaming. But you had, um, you know, 10 to, to 15 or so large publishers uh, that were all kind of competing with each other. You know, back then you had... Uh, Konami, Sony, uh, Square Enix. I mean, a lot of those still exist, but you know, you had Vivendi, you had, um, um, you know, um, Sierra. You know, a lot of a lot of different companies that were kind of roughly equivalent in size, and they're all kind of competing with each other. That just my gut reaction is a healthier uh, situation um, for the industry, but we'll have to kind of see how how this plays out. You know. Maybe this will be a good thing for EA uh, because they certainly need some kind of revitalization. Yeah, and uh, we got word that Michael is uh, in the on deck and he will be joining us soon. So it'll be really great to get his uh, topic, uh, his thought on this. And, you know, Justin, it's very interesting because as somebody who worked in the gaming industry while I was starting up the journalism aspect for two different publishers, I saw a lot of what really frustrated me beyond belief was that gaming decisions were made by non-gamers. I, I won't name the company, uh, but I remember one particular situation where they brought in this guy and there was, um, let's just call it foreign investment. And while this person was American, he was essentially the, um, oh, how would you put it? He was the um, liaison between the foreign investors and the US side of things, and he was put in charge of things. And I remember one day that he um, to play, and he basically talked about, well, I'm gonna go around and I'm gonna have a look at the new games. And I remember he went around the various offices and he'd be like, so tell me about this game and what's this all about? And I kept thinking to myself, this game shipping in two weeks and you don't have a clue about what it is and what it's about and yet you're the money man who decides whether or not this thing goes to market and all that kind of stuff and you know that that kind of stuff always struck me as odd and then i saw that on at another company where a game that was woefully unready to go it was 
horribly unstable. I mean, I remember they brought it to me and said, you're going to be the point QA person on it. And within an hour of playing it, I found I had over two pages of bugs. And we're not talking just little annoyances, as in major catastrophic, this thing's not going to run because of this bug. And I came into work the next day, and they told me that, um, you know, the game had already shipped, even though QA had signed, would not sign off on it, even though another division would not sign off on it. The suits decided that it was over budget, over time, and it had to go. They put the game out. We went from saying 15 tech support calls a person today to over 99. We had to start coming in on the weekends. I remember going to Costco and seeing three four-foot-high stacks of them all the way across behind the counter being returned because it was unstable. I know that a, a, another game that was being built on the engine for this never came out. They came around with a cart full of them and literally were telling us, take as many as you want because they decided to scrap it. It had already gone gold. It had already been boxed. It had already been ready to go out the door, and they decided it wasn't going to happen. So in a situation like EA, I could see the appeal from the standpoint of, it takes some of the heat off you in terms of having big money studios uh, to help you along. At the same time, you also, again, are dealing with people that may not be gaming related to calling the shots. I mean, it's a TikTok situation, and I don't mean the social network site. If you're EA, you could say, we're losing our Star Wars exclusiveness. Battlefield didn't hit. We already talked about the issues with Andromeda. There is some appeal into merging with NBC Universal because just off the top of my head, I could say, well, there's Jaws, there's the classic monster movies, there's Fast and Furious, there's Riddick, there's all kinds of potential game licenses that you could jump in and make part of your your uh, catalog. But at the same time, you know, Jurassic Park, let's not forget that. The problem is, of course, again, uh, you're at the mercy of corporations. So, Michael, you're in now. The discussion that we're bringing up is that the report has come out that EA and Universal almost merged, and it fell through at the last minute. What do you make of this, and do you think this is going to open the door for another company to come in or for this to eventually come to fruition? Yeah, that's an interesting thing because because I, you, know, you make a good point about who's calling the shots because traditionally when we've had movie license or television production type people merge with technological gaming type studios, it doesn't always tend to go real well. Um, because again, they're very, as, as much as they try to make those tie-ins successful, I think we can all agree that for the majority of movie tie-in um, type licenses, they tend to fall pretty flat, um, with, ex with some exceptions, obviously. There have been some good um, alien games, obviously. There have been some other... Um, fairly decent um, tie-ins, uh, but let's not forget what the what the uh, path was back in the early to early to mid 2000s, where every movie that came out had a video game associated with it. And I can see where, uh, obviously, you know, Jurassic Park license is huge. Uh, obviously, there have been some pretty good games based on that license as well. But at the same time, I, I just I kind of always worry about these major multimedia mergers because you never know who's going to be making the ultimate decisions and where those will lie. And, and I, I, you know, that's why I think, uh, you know, in, in some, in some situations, I think it's almost better that we have these big game mergers 
between gaming companies because they at least have an understanding of the industry and how things work. Now, that can be for better or worse, right? I mean, it doesn't necessarily make it mean it's going to be a good marrying of the two. But I but I tend to see where you know when we're talking about a you know a, a studio such as Universal or NBC or ABC or any any of those like that, that business model is very different, you know. And there's there's always a big expectation when we particularly when we see um, TV shows where if there's not a, a you know a good return in the first season they might tend to scrap it and video games sometimes will take one or two um, you know before uh, with a new license to really get their footing and kind of kind of get off the ground so yeah I, I don't really know that this is is good or bad I think we're going to start seeing a lot more of this is because I think they start seeing you know first we see the um, jumping on board the stream chain, the stream train, and the next thing is going to be jumping on the video game train because that's where the money's being made right now. And I particularly think these um, film studios, um, you know, television studios, that sort of thing, with the pandemic, are needing a way to make money that don't rely on crowds going to a theater to do so. And I think this video games is one of those avenues. Yeah, and what's interesting is you know, a little bit of revisionist history here. I was at Sierra and, you know, we, we saw this up close in terms of, you know, the, the Ken and Roberta Williams sold the company and it was CUC Sendent. And then it went on to be Havas Vivendi. And then that became Vivendi Universal. And that merged with Activision. And then uh, that was like December of 2007. And then it was interesting because that was supposed to create the new Activision Blizzard company and one of the interesting things about it was they uh, dissolved Vivendi games and many of the Vivendi game properties were later dropped by Activision because they decided they would not be you know good fits moving forward and we've seen some of them like you know Crash Bandicoot's come back Spyro's come back uh, but you know there, there were all kinds of interesting things like they were they had a, a game based on the thing they had a Scorpion King game um, you know I, I talked a few things with Justin about um, Jurassic Park you know there was a, a Hulk game there was um, uh, what do you call it uh, just all kinds of things there was stuff about um, X-Files there was stuff about um, I'm drawing a blank here. I talk. Oh, uh, uh, Riddick. You know, they had the Escape from Butcher Bay, and all of these things. And it, it was interesting because you know people forget Half Life was originally part of that whole uh, setup. Predator, Concrete Jungle. You know, Fear. There were there were some pretty decent franchises in that mix. So it was very interesting to see how things go. And I I am curious though with the timing. With, uh, we have the Summer Game Fest coming up. Uh, what is it, June 9th, June 11th, June 12th? We got a lot of stuff coming up. We got the PC Gamer Show, Guerrilla Games. We've got all of this uh, in the wake of E3. And it's going to be interesting to see um, you know, what happens, what is going to go forward. And, you know, it, it's, it's such a weird time. But then out of that, you get some really interesting news, like uh, we had a report uh, from a couple of credible sources, uh, THR included, that Disney Plus is going to resurrect Daredevil um, as an original series with Charlie Cox and Vincent D'Onofrio returning. And it is seen as a continuation of the Netflix series 
not a reboot. So, uh, Michael, what do you think? So it's, it's hard to talk about this without talking about spoilers. Um, but we've seen him appear in a Disney movie already, um, which I think was a was a pretty interesting precursor to the expansion of that story. So I think that'll be really good. Um, obviously, I think Disney will have a bit more money to throw at it. Um, and again, the Netflix series, I liked the, the Daredevil um, show quite a lot. Um, so so seeing what Disney will do with that character and how it'll expand, they're going to have a lot more opportunities to expand into the existing um, universe, which again, we've already seen that occur. Um, so I would like to see, obviously, um, uh, more of that character and how, how he fits into that overall universe. So I think that's pretty exciting news. And Justin, your take, please. Yeah, I think that's that's right. You know, I, uh, how many seasons were there? I, I don't remember. Three, I, I, and then the Defenders, if I remember correctly. Okay, um, because I watched two seasons, and I thought uh, it was very good. The, I, I think I sort of fell off a little bit um, towards the end of season two, just because I thought that uh, the um, uh, the things with with the, the Punisher were really good, but um, the the ninjas, I, th I think, were a bit much for me, and uh, it was uh, uh, not, not quite as interesting as uh, as the Punisher, but, um, you know, I, th it, I think it, it kind of goes to show the fact that they're uh, kind of continuing it on means it was successful. It, it, mostly, you know, I, I think the thing that really worked for the Daredevil series was the casting. Um, Charlie Cox was really good. Um, you know, even the, the side characters I think were really well cast, and uh, yeah, certainly Vincent D'Onofrio as uh, the Kingpin, who's shown up multiple times in the role, I think uh, was a really good casting choice. So I think uh, you know that it just makes sense that they're gonna kind of use the same cast. It was very well received, um, it, it certainly from a casting standpoint. So there was no reason to, to recast those roles. So it's good news, you know. I think, uh, um, and it'll be interesting, kind of like what Michael said with Disney budget, uh, what what this show could be like. I'm curious to know if it's going to keep the hard edge where literally uh, you get those extended fight scenes in the hallway where he, you know, bloodied himself up just as much as he bloodied the bad guys. Or are we going to go back to lots of fist flying but no, uh, you know, clear graphic violence? Because that was one of the traits of the Netflix show was that they were not afraid to go to that dark area when they needed to do so for the sake of the story. And will this be a more PG, family-friendly take on Daredevil? Um, you know, I, a lot of people see the Disney Plus uh, name and say, yeah, it's going to have to be. They can't have him breaking arms and impaling people, uh, you know, going down the hall. But at the same time, if, I think you can also make the argument of if that is what the story calls for, they're certainly not opposed to it. And there is kind of a... Uh, a way to do it. I mean, we have seen recent series get, look at uh, Hawkeye. It was at times graphic. I mean, he was indeed nailing people with the arrows. The difference was you just didn't get the blood and guts aspect of it. So it will be curious to see, but I mean, you know, we've heard reports that Daredevil is getting ready to, uh, not Daredevil, excuse me, uh, Deadpool is getting ready to make his appearance in the MCU. I think anybody who's seen Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness will tell you that it is leaning more and more toward darker subject matter 
and that again, if the if the uh, subject needs it, uh, they are definitely willing to do so. So that I think that's something to definitely keep an eye out. Now, really quick, we've got a few other topics to discuss, but I did want to bring up a couple of things that came in today. Uh, Ubisoft revealed Operation Vector Glare, the second season of Rainbow Six's Siege Year 7, who is coming on June 7th, and this will introduce a new operator, a new team deathmatch map, much more. We have news and the trailer. Uh, for those who haven't had a chance to play it yet, Tiny Tina's new DLC, Glutton's Gamble, um, was made uh, was released this week. I did uh, play through it, and I was real happy with the fact that I got through it on my first try, and I've got the entire video out, and so that is uh, on the page. And then we got news this week that Orlando and Universal, it is not too far off to Destiny Universal, Orlando and uh, uh, Hollywood at Universal Studios, announced that um, their most notorious horror icons, Wolfman, Dracula, and the Mummy, will be together in the first time in the all-new Universal Monsters Legends Collide Haunted Houses as part of Halloween Horror Night. So while there'll be a lot more coming, this is usually the time when they start rolling out, uh, hey, we're going to do a Stranger Things house, we're doing one on the thing, we're doing that. And so in this one, it uh, just basically says, talking about the haunted, original haunted house, and it will be at both parks, inspired by the classic monsters, and so on and so forth. So it'll be 19th century, trio of monsters seeking one thing, the Amulet of Ra, the Wolfman believes, the ancient relic has the power to lift his curse, Dracula and the mummy have nefarious plans. With the full moon on the rise, it's a race against time as guests find themselves entangled in a battle between the titans and only one will survive i'm like hey that works now this i thought was really cool guys grammy award-winning musician slash will return to collaborate with an original composition for the haunted house and huh. they're saying right now it's going to begin on friday september 2nd in orlando and september 8th in hollywood 10 haunted houses uh are what is planned uh with eight Let's see, what is it, 10, 10 haunted houses? I think that's Orlando and eight in Hollywood. And both events will run on nights uh, through October 31st. So that'll be really cool. I know that we'll probably send our crew to that because as much as I love covering their thing, it's always so tricky because they have theirs. Then a week or two later, we have the other one at Knott's, uh, which is not Scary Farm, which we're looking forward to covering. So, guys, the other thing I wanted to mention to you, I'm going to send you a quick little uh, thing here so you can reference it, is that we got news that um, there's a brand new Alien comic line coming. And this one really shocked a lot of people because um, they are, you know, a lot of people thought they would continue with the original storyline that they had been developing but supposedly uh they well not supposedly they've officially announced it they are going to be mixing things up with a brand new storyline and i wanted to get your take on this so uh basically what we got here is coming this august writer philip kennedy johnson will continue his bold contributions in the world of alien with a new comic series the incredible and terrifying artwork of julius oda 
And the, the storyline on this one is really, really intriguing. A small colony of synths have set up a, on a secret uh, colony on a backwater moon. When a company of the United Systems soldiers comes to them for help retrieving biotechnology on a hostile planet that could be the key to saving humanity, the Siths must decide whether the prospect of peace between men and machine is worth the risk of betrayal. And the cover basically shows an alien ripping a synth to pieces. Uh, so which of you wants to open with this one? Uh, it's, you know, it's in, it de definitely an interesting choice. Uh, I haven't followed, uh, the Alien comics very closely since, um, and I probably should, um, you know, I, I, I did follow them decently well when, um, Dark Horse had, had the property, but, uh, I haven't followed the, uh, the, the Marvel, uh, new lines of, of comics as closely, um, but, um, you know, it's definitely, it, it, it's certainly the the uh, the the cover art looks very uh, very high quality. So I, I'm interested to f to follow this and and uh, see where it goes. And Michael, your take, please. Yeah, and just when I haven't followed the comics at all, to be honest, the alien ones. Um, so obviously, anytime they add additional um, areas to explore that universe, I think it's always a um, a positive thing. Which again, any time that they can drive. Um, renewed interest in the franchise means there's more opportunities for for additional um, movies shows games that sort of thing um, and obviously comics is is a very um, lucrative area where a lot of these things can be driven and provide a lot of you know uh, insight into how the franchise is as a whole and hopefully drive development into other products as well so so yeah i'm i'm, I'm good with any of the uh, the storylines that can kind of add to that uh, storyline yeah, it, it will be interesting because I have a few of them. I picked up several of them in Vegas when we were um, there for uh, CES, and it was intriguing. I didn't get the full set, so I've kind of been holding off on reading the whole thing through, but I, I may do that very soon anyway. And it, it kind of reminds me of one of the things that has kind of bugged me about comics over the years is that I don't always like investing in storylines if I'm not sure it is going to be finished. Now, um, from what I understand, they did go through the season, but it was a case of people thought uh, more was coming. And it reminded me of the Aliens uh, official spinoff where they said, you know, here's just one shot. And they, they did what I thought was a fantastic job of setting it up, but it wasn't all resolved. And it was like you did all these great introductions but it was a one shot and it was like, where's the rest of it? This is a story. If you're going through this much trouble setting it up, you need to uh, be able to revisit that and not just leave it there. But at the same time, is it any different than some of these movies where they haven't I mean, these movies, excuse me, these books where they come out and they'll do a completely out of left field storyline and leave it from there. Whereas we have the current series right now with the colony wars, where you have got the third book coming out in July. All three are done by different authors, but it is a connected storyline. And technically speaking, uh, you know, who knows if there's even more coming beyond that on what's announced. I just, I think it's good for the fans. I think it's nice to see something different. And I keep wondering, you know, how many, 
how long until maybe one of these things comes out in a more traditional format? I mean, they've got Hulu. We already know there's an Alien movie coming. We already know there's an Alien TV series. It's nice to see so much attention being placed on the franchise again after a relatively quiet time frame. Uh, the big question I have is, you know, essentially what's next, and uh, we will go from there. I did want to mention we had an interview with Obi-Wan Kenobi's cast and creatives. That is, uh, the recap is available on our website. And uh, as I said, next weekend we have Phoenix Fan Fusion coming up. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and to see if we get any news coming out of that. I will be doing uh, three panels and we have our booth, so we'll uh, see how that goes. And we have an interview coming up this week. I can tell you this with the person who did the hairstyles and makeup for the Moon Knight series. So we have uh, some interesting questions already in store for them. So until next week, everybody, take care and we'll talk to you soon.